Hello, welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle. Thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com as well as the Sonic Cinema Podcast YouTube channel. You can check out the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's Apple, Google, Spotify, uh, YouTube, Good Pods, uh, Amazon, basically wherever you want to listen, Sonic Cinema Podcast is there. Click subscribe, rate, and review, and uh, every little bit helps as far as that. You can also check me out at patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema. There you will find series like Life Soundtrack and Leaving the Collection, Early Access Reviews, as well as discussions on film festivals, as well as the Oscar nominations. That is at patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema. Today we have a, uh, this, this is a bit of a left turn. Um, my guest is not, is not associated with films as far as being a critic or podcaster about films, but I thought she would be able to bring a, uh, an interesting perspective to films and how they tell specific type of stories. And when she came up with and when she pitched this idea of these movies to talk about, I leapt at it because it, it seemed very much right up her alley, and plus it gives us a lot to talk about from a film standpoint as well as from a social standpoint. So with that being said, uh, we are going to be talking about the two Stepford Wives uh, movies, from one from 1975, one from... 2004, and my guest today is a cultural critic, a writer, and blogger, and author, and I'm very pleased to be joined by Ella Dawson. Ella, thank you very much for joining me today. Hello, thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited. I am too. Uh, I Ever since you pitched this idea of these specific films, I, I got really excited about this discussion, especially since I, I will be, I will I won't. I will admit that I had not seen the original Stepford Wives mm. yet, um, but I had seen the remake when it came out in 2004. But I hadn't seen it since, so I was curious to revisit that one as well. And that's one of the things that's always very exciting about the about this podcast is, and one of the things I'm always open for is experiencing films for the first time, especially if I know I'm going to be talking about them and. This was a particular treat in that respect. But before we get to the films, um, I just wanted to uh, give you a chance to sort of introduce yourself to the listeners and what your writing is typically about and what makes it so important for you to write about what you do. Yeah, so I call myself a culture critic, which is a fancy way of saying I'm really interested in pop culture and media and how they teach us about the world. And my focus has always been on gender issues and relationships. Uh, I'm kind of self-taught in the sense that I did do a concentration in university about media studies through a feminist lens, but most of that has just been me watching a lot of television and reading a lot of books and thinking about what did this make me feel about relationships <laughs> and gender. Uh, so I am not an expert in film as a medium, but I did take a film analysis class my freshman year of college, and I do watch a lot of movies. And uh, yeah, and I, I'm also really lucky to have some film buff friends who have been helping me think more critically about film in the last few years. And 
part of the way that I came to thinking about the Stepford Wives and how much I wanted to talk about it was um, one of my friends runs a podcast where he's revisiting these like classic universal horror movies. And I started thinking about what are the what are the horror films that really informed me as a person coming up? And The Stepford Wives, as I will gush about, is definitely one of those films. But I write about gender and relationships and society and uh, the idea that our relationships might be very personal to us. But when you scale back and look at societal structures and marriage and power and agency, even these really small personal relationships can tell us a lot about the world and power. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that I think that really comes into play in these films in particular. So I was so excited to have someone to talk to about these movies because <laughs> they came out forever ago. Yeah. So they're not top of mind, but I think they continue to be really relevant. And uh, the Stepford wife as a, as a term is so common and normal, I think, as a touch point for people when we talk about women and femininity, and we've almost lost the context of where did that even come from. So I think it's worth looking back at these movies because they're really weird. Yeah, very much so. Um, And there are two very different approaches to material, too. One is more or less a very 70s horror movie, and the other one is almost a dark comedy and dark, silly comedy. And I I think those two differences... I mean, they speak to the time that they were made, and they were they they speak to the way different filmmakers can approach uh, similar material, and I I think that's always an interesting thing to talk about. Um, where can before we get started though, where can people find? your writing more often than not. Yes. Uh, I am on Patreon. That is where I have my home. It's patreon.com slash bros and prose uh, because I write a lot of prose about bros, um, regrettably from college dating choices. But uh, yeah, that's where I spend most of my time these days. You can also go to elladawson.com. And I should mention I have a novel coming out next year, which is very exciting, um, which is also a lot about relationships and ambition and success and being a broke millennial, and that's called But How Are You Really? And it's available for pre-order. Excellent. And I am definitely I'm definitely looking forward to reading that. That's that's gonna be Thank you. I, I, I think that's gonna be a really great read. Um, but we will go ahead and transition into the Stepford Wives. And uh, like I said, this was my first time seeing the 1975 film. Uh, based on Ira Levine's novel. And I will be honest, it's like, it it really threw me for a loop. It also made me really excited to rewatch the 2004 version because of the fact that it's like, okay, this is very different than what we got in 2004. And I mean, there are some behind-the-scenes reasons as to why that was the case as well, uh, which I'll get to as we go along. But um, so the 1975 film is uh, directed by Brian Forbes, written, and I did not know this going in, by the amazing uh, William Goldman, multiple Oscar winner. He did All the President's Men. He did Butch Casting, The Sundance Kid, The Princess Bride, Misery, Maverick, so many phenomenal films. And this is really another one. And it stars Catherine Ross as Joanna... Eberhardt, a photographer who is moving to the town of Stepford with her husband and children. 
And she, as they get engulfed in the society of Stepford, you come to find that there's something very unusual and very out of the ordinary with, uh, with the town, and especially the women in the town. And it's a mystery that basically unfolds um, as, we, uh, as we go on. But my, I think one of the easy ways to get into this conversation is when was the first time you watched the original Stepford Wives? So I, honestly, I'm not sure because I very vividly remember watching the 20, the 2004 remake when I was a teenager. Um, and I have always been kind of a baby about horror movies. So I think I probably watched the original film when I was in college, but I don't have a very clear memory of it. There are images from the film that have stuck with me over time, but I... I truly am not sure, but I knew the story of the Stafford Wives and kind of the lore of the films because I grew up in Connecticut. And they happened to film quite a good deal of the original film in my mom's hometown, which is Darien, Connecticut, which is, uh, yeah. And my mom would tell me as a kid when I was growing up, she would tell me these really vivid stories about what it was like having it filmed at their local grocery store and how her mom would go grocery shopping in the same grocery store that they filmed those really iconic scenes of the Stepford Wives going up and down the aisles. Mm -hmm. And so I, I felt like I knew the story without ever having seen the films. And when they filmed the remake, they even filmed in my hometown, a lot of the exterior shots of the mansions. I grew up in Greenwich, Connecticut. And Greenwich and Darien, Fairfield, Norwalk, these towns where they filmed both films are their commuter towns. It's a very affluent strip of the Connecticut coastline. And it is very conformist and very conservative. So I don't remember when I first saw the films. I feel like I grew up having seen them. But the first time I really engaged with the film on a deeper level was when I knew we were going to have this conversation. Okay. I went and sought it out and rewatched it. I had seen the 2004 remake, it felt like a dozen times. But it was really exciting to go back and rewatch the original. And... I, I, yeah, I just had so many emotions. <laughs> and I also, I had read the novel in high school. Mm -hmm. So I reread the novel when I knew we were having this conversation too. And it was interesting just thinking about gaps in my memory and understanding of it. This, like, the book and the first film are much more explicitly political than I remembered them being. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, they're great. That was a very rambly answer, but it's, I feel like I've always seen these films and yet I don't remember when I watched them because it was just such a lore of my childhood. I mean, I can understand completely how living at the same, living in the same area where they made these movies definitely gives you a different perspective because of the fact that it's almost like, it, it's hard to, to a certain extent, it's almost hard to be objective about movie if you're so if if you're so familiar with the fact that oh well they made these films here or if you have a personal connection to these films that goes beyond just watching the movie i yeah um yeah, i mean honestly it's like let's face it i mean letterbox is a recent thing and so it's like being able to remember the exact moment where we saw certain movies it's hard to do um, but yeah, I mean, like, like, you know, we all have those moments, those movies where images stick with, 
from movies stick with us uh, all the time, and certainly I can understand why some of the images, uh, the, the uh, 1975 film would stick with you because of the fact that it is such, there is such an iconography in some of those moments. Um, you know, and I, I do like that you rewatch, reread the novel too, because of the fact that it's always interesting to see how adaptations change certain things and what those changes mean to the film itself. And uh, what are, and you know, it's, I, I think the, the idea that both of these films are essentially political, I, I think is an important part of uh, why they work the way they do. But also, I, I think it's interesting the way that they're the same, the framework is essentially the same in the story, but what they're saying politically feels very different. And I mean, that's something that obviously uh, plays into the uh, time that they were made too. Absolutely, yeah. I That was something I was thinking a lot about because there, there are a lot of, obviously there are key differences in tone between these two films. The first one, as you mentioned, is like a very serious kind of, domestic thriller and the reboot in the 2000s is it's almost campy like it yeah. is overwhelmingly satirical it is much lighter it is visually very colorful and beautiful and striking and silly but it's it's made in this weird moment in 2004 where feminism has kind of not died out but it's gotten very quiet we're in the bush years like there's a lot of economic prosperity we're in post 9-11 america very, very conformist time. And there's almost the sense that we've moved beyond feminism because women have, we're in the workforce, we're powerful. And there's not the sense of crisis really of, of women's rights being rolled back. That yeah. We haven't really tilted into the Trump era. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 2004 was this weird moment in time. Um, and so the movie is, is it's, it's saying a very different, Thing about women's issues and women's empowerment. And um, there are a lot of changes that were made to the lore of Stepford mm -hmm. between the, the first film and the second film. The second film, well, I don't, I don't know the right order for us to talk about like how the Stepford wives are made, but the second film is very, um, it's less interested in men's power it, yeah. and more about, it's like a very convoluted message about who is actually in charge? Who's under threat? Right. It has a happy ending, which is very weird for any type of Stepford <laughs> film. It's it's bizarre. It's I. It's a fun film. It's pretty messy. <laughs> messy is a great way of putting it. I had actually I'd remembered that there were issues that came across with test screenings for the mm. remake, and when I was went to go look at the trivia on IMDb that was in fact the case where it's like people didn't accept the ending which they were intending to end it the same way the original does but oh. so they didn't accept that ending and so that's where basically that very very ending after the grocery store comes into play and you're and I agree with you where it's like it all of a sudden changes the perspective a bit in a way that I'm not quite sure if it, I'm not quite sure if it lands the punches that it means to land 
um, because of some of the choices that makes. And um, but I, and I think, and I think, I understand from an intellectual standpoint. I kind of understand because of the fact that the 2004 film is sillier. It's more light. It's lighter. It's not as foreboding as the 1970 film. So ending the way that the 1975 film did, it wouldn't, I can see it maybe not working as well, but at the same time, you're, you're confusing the thematic heft of the narrative, I think. And I, I think that's, uh, and I, I think that's one of the things that is, as much as I enjoy the Frank Oz film, which is directed by Frank Oz, who I absolutely adore, one of the, one of my absolute favorite comedic filmmakers of all time. Um, I understand why they were like, oh, I'm not sure how I feel about that ending, but at the same time, it's funny, I actually just made a crack on Twitter yesterday because there was reports that, you know, the reason that so many mu musicals are no longer being promoted as musicals is because test audiences have said, well, I'm not sure how I feel about musicals. Well, it's I made the crack that, well, test audiences often don't really know the best thing for a film. And so I think to a certain extent, this is kind of the case with this one. I mean, I understand why they went that way. And I, I think it's, I think it leads to some places that are interesting but at the same time, I, I think it also diminishes the impact of the story in a lot of ways. Absolutely. So to nutshell summarize the differences in endings, because I think it'll, it'll be helpful for the listener. Um, in the first film, these wives are being murdered by their husbands and replaced by robots. And our hero spends the first film, Joanna, trying to figure out what has happened to all of these successful feminist women who have been replaced by like pod people, ladies who love mm -hmm. doing their housework. And along the way, her friends who were kind of helping her on this quest are replaced. And at the end, she is also replaced. And it is incredibly dark and creepy and scary in this like very interesting way because it's this brightly lit suburban film, but it's ominous. And you can tell that it is saying a lot about gender and the about men's anxieties about the feminist movement and women progressing and having more agency outside of the home. And in the 2004 film, uh, the twist ending is basically Joanna and her husband, Walter, team up to convince everyone that Joanna has been replaced by the Stepford wife. And the way that that is done is through microchips, not robots. No one gets murdered, which mm -hmm. is there are a lot of plot holes around how that works. Yeah. But the end of the film is Joanna kind of reveals that, oh, my goodness, this has been going on and how terrifying. And Walter is able to deprogram all of the microchips. So all of the Stepford women wake up and are very mad at their husbands. And the weirdest twist, in my opinion, is that the person behind this is the man who runs the men's association is himself a robot yeah. and his wife, Glenn Close, is behind everything because she wants to return to these beautiful old days where women were women and men were men and she herself had been this successful brain surgeon but her husband who she loved had an affair and she murdered them and kind of lost her mind. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, 
no one dies except for whoever Glenn Close murdered <laughs> before the film began. And Joanna exposes all of this, and she and her husband kind of have worked on their marriage, and they're fine. And it's very, it's so interesting, the idea of test audiences kind of ruining this film accidentally, mm-hmm. because the film was doomed to fail by the tone if they yeah. wanted to have that darker original ending. Yeah. Because I heard that, I, hadn't, I haven't read the review yet, but I've been reading some of the commentary about the reaction to the 2004 film, and one reviewer basically said, how bizarre is it that these filmmakers looked at this incredibly dark 1970s film about violence against women and said, let's make a comedy about it. <laughs> like, it's, it's a very difficult spin to put on the source material. Yeah. And... I just feel like you can't make a film with that tone and then have an incredibly dark ending where everyone dies. Mm -hmm. Like, that's just, it doesn't make sense. The whole thing is a convoluted disaster. Yeah. And I I really enjoy the 2004 film, but I think it is very intellectually dishonest and bad Mm -hmm. at the same time. um, Because... It's saying at the end of the day, like, what is it? Is it saying women are actually behind oppression of women in this? Like, it's just very calm. Yeah. Just, yeah. I have, I have no words. <laughs> it does no, not make I sense. Mean, it's, and and that's that's where that ending, that's where that ending for the two thousand four really loses you because it's like, okay, so Glenn Close is the one responsible for this. So the social commentary that we've been seeing throughout the film is essentially thrown out the window. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I get it that I get it to a certain extent because of the fact that they had to come up with something, and I guess this was the best they could do under the circumstances. But it's still—I feel like Frank Oz is too good of a filmmaker who's done entertaining dark comedy before to where how is this the move that you make and it's like that and and i think it's you know and i had forgotten there's a lot that i had forgotten about the 2004 film when i uh rewatched it it's a rich text (laughs) and one of the things that i then i i forgot is the fact that um nicole kidman's character she plays joanna in this film She's she's at a point where she her career is basically cratered because of the uh, because of um, a chain reaction of events that have happened because of she's a network executive whose reality TV has backfired in a truly horrific way, and yes. um, you know it's like. So she's essentially catatonic when they move to Stepford. And, you know, but then at the end, she's on top. And it's like, okay, I, the, very, the very end of it, where they're on Larry King and stuff like that, I kind of understand where the movie's going in that respect. It's, but it doesn't really, it, it still doesn't stick enough of the landing in between to really solidify what made the the 1975 film so great. Yeah, I it's so interesting the arc of the two Joannas because in in the Nicole Kidman Joanna, she starts the movie 
very powerful as an executive, kind of domineering. You get the sense that she has emasculated her husband, mm-hmm. Matthew Broderick. And like, that's not like a, that's not like a, what's the word I'm looking for? The movie endorses that view yeah. that she has kind of emasculated her husband. There's no criticism of that. That's like she she is this all black wearing TV executive who sucks and we don't like her mm-hmm. and we feel bad for her husband. And the arc of the film is kind of her being humbled and and coming to appreciate her husband and understand why he feels so terrible. And at the same time, yes, we all think it is bad that these women are being mind controlled by their husbands like the film isn't endorsing the concept of the separate wives but there's a lot of sympathy for these poor men who are living in their wives shadows and it's very the tone is very confusing because it's making fun of them it's not saying that's true it's not saying that's a justified reason for what they've done but it's a very weird muddled message about maybe women have become too powerful maybe we need to strive for more more of an equality in the sense that women do need to be more. It's just like, what are you trying to say about gender? Yeah. It's very odd and off-putting. And I think it would be really interesting if this film had been made now where there's much more room for nuance. And also we don't, there's the, the fiction that women have progressed beyond men. It's kind of broken because mm-hmm. the pandemic and women's rights being rolled back and we're just a little more comfortable with the nuance of that than we were in, t- in 2004. Yeah. But when you compare that to the first film where Joanna's husband has basically decided they need to move to Separate because New York City is full of crime and it's the 70s in New York. So that was a time of like a lot of white flight. And Joanna is miserable in Separate from the beginning. Yeah. And it's for good reason. Like, she did not want to be here. She misses her friends. She misses New York City. She's a photographer. She wants to have this career. But she's very patiently trying to make it work in Stepford because this is where her husband wants to be and it's better for the kids. And it's and she's not, she's not a figure with a lot of agency and power. And she's just doing her best. And um, the film, the first film, is very loyal to the book as an adaptation, which I thought was really interesting up until the, up until the ending where they made some changes that I think make sense filmat- filmatically. But in the book, um, Joanna, when there's this wonderful scene at the beginning of the film where the welcome wagon lady comes to interview her and be like, who are you? What, what does your husband do? And Joanna says, at least in the book, very bluntly, like, I'm interested in women's lib and so is my husband. And she comes to Stepford and sees all these pod pe- pod women and makes friends with Bobby, who's one of the few women who hasn't kind of been converted yet. Mm-hmm. And they start a consciousness raising group. Yeah. And they're engaged in all of these like very 1970s feminist organizing principles. And it's just, it's so wild to compare the two Joannas because in the first film, there's a real sense of, There are real political stakes to everything happening here. There's this wider context, and women have made progress, but not enough, Mm -hmm. because men don't want them to keep making progress. And their husbands, who are very smart and claim to be progressive and interested in women's lib, are lying to them and holding them back. And it's, it's a simpler, more cohesive narrative that still has a lot of nuance to it, and the difference between the Walters as well is really fascinating, mm-hmm. the husband figure, because in the in the original film, he's just straight up lying to his wife the entire movie. Oh, yeah. And we slowly realize, like, oh, they moved here because he knew this would happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah, I just, ah, 
What a mess. What yeah. a weird mess. <laughs> it, it really is. Um, and, and the thing is, it's like, I, as much as, and I, I kind of feel like the opening to the 2004 film, I, I think it's, it's, it's almost a victim of its time because of the fact that, I mean, that was <laughs> those first few years of the 2000s is when we saw the rise of reality TV like Survivor. Mm. And then the year before this was Temptation Island, which yeah. was essentially essentially the same type of story as what we got in the fake reality TV show that Joanna has that goes so awry. Um, but the thing, so I think to a certain extent they're playing on that, but also because of the fact that Joanna's, Joanna's downfall in her career is, is, is not something that Stepford is taking from her. It's, it's, it's trying to, you know, Walter seems, you know, and yeah, Walter seems very clueless to what's going on until he starts going mm -hmm. to the men's association. And, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, how, how, why? And apparently nobody enjoyed working on this film. Everybody's like, yeah, I'm not <laughs> sure how much I feel about this film. It's just disappointing because I do think there, there are things about this movie I love. And um, I love their spin on the group that Joanna tries to uh, create in Stepford. Like you, like you said, it's more of a, you know, it's more of a women's rights group in the 1970 film. And I love the way that guy gets derailed. And in here, it's a book club. And she's like, oh, I'm reading these Lyndon Johnson biographies. I can't wait to read the next one. And Glenn Close's character is talking about the Christmas decoration catalog and it's it's such a hilarious spin on it but it's, it's so much of that movie and i i almost feel like the 2004 film kind of gives the game away way too quick and i think that that could be a, a result of the bad test screening and just trying to salvage it the way they did um in general but i love the fact that the thing that's great about the 1970 film, un, in addition to the thematic heft, which I think is really strong in it, and I, I think Goldman's script nails that, and they find just the right tone. It's something that's very... It's perfect. It, it's, it's something where it's like, yes, they're trying to get away from the city, but the suburbs are probably not quite where you want to be either for these different reasons. And, you know, it, it speaks to conformity in the suburbs. It speaks to, you know, how there, how there are good things and bad things in either way you live. And, you know, I mean, I, I agree. I, I think this movie would be fascinating. To, I, I would love to see a new version of this now just to see what a different filmmaker would... Uh, would come up with in this case um but yeah you're right as far as the there are so many differences in walter and it's like matthew broderick's when it was funny because of the fact that when matthew broderick's supportive of her at the beginning it's like what i i'm not i'm not it's a different change obviously in the character but it's also i didn't expect that from matthew broderick's character right away because it's like i like this was a few years after he was in election, and this was a few years after he mm. started his 
run into producers. So it's like you're used to him. At this point, you're kind of used to seeing him kind of a sleazeball. Yeah. But, yeah, it's... um, Yeah, I mean, the way that the... The way that the first movie approaches things, it's such a, a, a simmer and just basically building upon building of things and keeping us in as much suspense as uh, Joanna, I, I think is a huge big part of the reason why the movie is as great as it is. It makes me wonder, like as, as you were talking about how the, the newer film kind of gives the game away. I wonder if it's just the curse of the fact that we know the story of the Stafford Wives now. Like, you go into this film knowing exactly what will happen. The Stafford Wives are being somehow controlled by the men. The, the only opportunity for the filmmaker to do something different is to have a twist on how that's happening. Like, what is the technology? Yeah. And what are what is what is the hero going to do about that? But... We go in knowing, oh, there's something wrong with these women because they're being controlled uh, right. in some type of way. Whereas in the first film, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, as I was not alive, uh, people going into the film, how much they knew what, what the big reveal was going to be, if they were already familiar from the book. But watching the first film, you don't really know that Bobby and Joanna have this theory, Joanna's friend Bobby is convinced that there's something in the water and that that must be controlling the women's behavior. And the theory makes sense because all along Stepford are these um, chemical factories and Mm -hmm. and buildings that are, are, she thinks might might be tainting the water supply. And that's very useful information because what is revealed at the end is that yes, all those companies are involved because their employees mm-hmm. are making these robots on their off time, essentially yeah. through the men's association. And I love the scene where Bobby and Joanna, I think go into the city essentially because Joanna has an ex-boyfriend who's a chemist <laughs> who is willing to test the water supply. And he kind of slides her a note that suggests that he's also unhappy in his marriage. Yeah. And you, it's this weird grounding moment uh, that kind of pulls back from Stemford and says, you know, a lot of marriages are really troubled at this time and you don't need to turn your wife into a robot as a solution. You could have a clandestine affair with your college ex- <laughs> ex-girlfriend. But it's it gives you a sense of Stemford has a very extreme example of how these tensions have been ruining lives and exploded, but these are challenges that are across the country. This is a time of a lot of change and friction. Mm. Um, And it is just, but I do wonder if it's next to impossible to make a Stepford wife film now because we already know, and there are already so many assumptions going in. And I think that makes it difficult to make a unique film. Maybe it also, I, I mean, yeah, I just, I keep thinking now about the test screening and what assumptions people must have brought in and how you would do this now, what you would do differently. I was thinking a lot about Neuralink and Elon Musk as I watched the 2004 film and the idea of of, um, behavior modification. And also we have this rising interest in involuntary celibate young men and sex robots. Like this is still such a timely question, this idea of, of a perfect partner who is a man's imagination of what a woman should be. Mm. Like it is so, it's such a potent idea 
And the 2004 film was very emblematic of its time, even if it kind of blew it in a lot of storytelling pers- uh, uh, word here. <laughs> you know no, what I mean? In a storytelling a capacity. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also, the casting is great in both films. Like, both yeah. of these films are so strong in some ways, but mm-hmm. I, love, I just love the first one. I love it. It's so creepy. The it's tell, so creepy. The, the first one's amazing. It really is a phenomenal film. And, uh, you know, I... That was, I, I think that was something where it's like, okay, I was, I expected it to be really good because, I mean, it is obviously an iconic film, but I didn't expect to just absolutely love it the way I did. It's like sometimes when you have something that's built up like that, you're just not sure how, you're, how it's going to react, you're going to react to it. And um, that one absolutely delivered. And, you know, it's funny because of the fact that I think most people, the one person now that I think most people could probably recognize Clerica is Catherine Ross, but that's because she was also in Butch Cassidy. She was also in The Graduate. So she'd been in other major films that people will have seen. But you're right. The cast to this one is just absolutely fantastic. I love Paula Prentice as Bobby in, in that one. And I love the... I love the character dynamics in here, and I I love the way that this movie sets up certain things, like the way the way the wife is malfunctioning at the party in the in the first one, is it's not as overtly you know oh we're going to you know show you that this is science fiction. It's just a matter of you know because they didn't have, necessarily want to do the technology to say oh this is short circuiting just having her repeat the same things over and over. and I'll that, just die if I that, don't get this recipe. And that, is, and that is just so chilling in its own way because it's like when you have somebody who repeats something over and over, it's like, okay, okay. It's, it's, it's really ominous to a certain extent and especially since it's the same tone every time. It's the same, it's the same idea. And so you, as people were gradually seeing what's going on, you are put in a sense of unease. And really, horror is, I think, the only way this story works. Yeah, um, I agree. As well as it does. I mean, if as much as I love Frank Oz, comedy is not the way that this movie works unless you're going for something very different. Yes, you can have comedy in it. And the first one has comedy in it, like how the women's rights group goes off the rails. Uh, because, like, nobody else knows what to do. It's like, okay, what, what are we going to talk about? And they just get into their normal routine. Um, yeah, I mean, Walter, that was one of the things that I did make note of when I, when I was uh, watching the film, was the fact that Walter just is is making decisions for both of them without any communication whatsoever and um you know it's like you you see that in terms of how unhealthy that can be for a relationship you you know and and then that's part of what made the other film the Matthew Broderick Walter so jarring because it's like okay I mean I appreciate that he's trying to care for Joanna it seems like but at the same time it's like that really doesn't work for the context of the movie yeah yeah i oh yeah 
<laughs> collecting my thoughts because there was so much in what she just said that stuck out to me. I think in the first film, talk about comedy. The first film is so darkly funny, but comedy is not its priority. Yeah. And it's the comedy is never at the expense of the women. And I, I watched some like behind the scenes interviews with folks. I read a bit of like the, the version of the, the novel that I read had a great forward about the context of the book. And that film is very conscious of making, making fun of the men yeah. and their insecurity and how childish their fantasies of women were and how, pathetic they are while still being incredibly dangerous. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about, I saw that some of the reaction to the original film had been, oh, is this anti-woman? And some of the feminist critics at the time walked out of a screening. And I was thinking to me as a, as, as somebody in the 2020s, like I, I watched this film and I'm like, this is a very feminist film. It is almost before its time. This is fascinating, mm -hmm. but I can see how some folks might've watched it and thought, it was making fun of women who actually do want to be housewives or enjoy housework. But to me, yeah. it, it so obviously came across as these are not human beings and they're not being made fun of. Mm -hmm. It is ominous and it is, it is threatening because these are clearly not people. These are replacements. And women are being punished for wanting more, for demanding respect, for having interests beyond just cleaning the house. Yeah. And they're being killed. Like, there are real stakes in the first film. Mm -hmm. And that, there are these moments of humor. I think, so there, there are a few different, there's Bobby, trying to remember what the name of... Um, the third friend is, who's the tennis player, Charmaine, I think. Yeah, I um, think that's right. Yeah, yeah. She, and she's she's a wacky lady. She's definitely a comedic character. Mm. She is this pro, she's not a pro tennis player, but she's an avid tennis player. Her husband is very rich. She has this beautiful moment when they do have the consciousness raging group where she says, I don't really think my husband ever loved me. I think I'm just pretty. And I was like, what he needed. And she has this very dark joke in the film about how he made her like a rubber suit. And you get the sense that there's some like fetish stuff in their relationship that she's kind of baffled by. Mm -hmm. um, and she's like, every scene she's in is really funny and moving because she's a weirdo who loves astrology and is like kind of racist about her German housekeeper. And yet it is crushing what happens to her. She yeah. is disappeared by her husband and replaced and the new version of her has like a bigger bust. And there's this scene where her very expensive clay tennis court is um, bulldozed and jackhammered out so that her husband can have a golf range. And there's even a bit of humor in that because a clay tennis court is this like incredibly affluent luxury mm -hmm. thing to have. So there's a little bit of poking fun at class in that moment, especially in the book. I think it comes out a bit more, yeah. but it's still this heartbreaking thing. And so the film is always very aware of who am I making fun of? How much power do they have? It's never really punching down. And I think the newer film kind of loses that entirely because yeah. everybody's being made fun of all the time. And sometimes the jokes are great and sometimes it's wildly dated. Mm. <laughs> but oh, yeah. Joanna herself is a figure of mockery. Yeah. And she kind of deserves it in the narrative of the film. Like she's making these horrific reality TV shows based in like battle of the sexes type of crap. Mm. And it's very, it's very... Yeah, it's it makes me kind of sad because it's it's such it's losing touch with this the stakes of the source material. Yeah. And 
it's just kind of a bummer. It's kind of a mean film. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, it's such a colorful film that it's kind of hard to track that sometimes, but yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's disappointing because of the fact that I think the only time the new one really gets the power dynamics right is with Mike, with the Christopher Walken character. And mm-hmm. there, you can see that character as, oh, he's the one in charge of everything. You understand why he's coming from uh, where he's coming. I mean, part of it is because Christopher Walken's amazing, but yeah. also, um, but it's also, he just has that, he has, he, he does have that just swagger to him that is, menacing as well as really darkly entertaining as well and you can i mean i i will admit the the promotional commercial they did for the stepford wives is absolutely hilarious it's one of those <laughs> again it's one of my favorite parts of the movie but it's fleeting. It's so good <laughs> it's fleeting because of the fact that yeah those seem to be the moments moments like that seem to be where the movie at least satirically kind of understands where the first movie is coming from and is trying to update it the way it is. And Mike has these monologue moments where he breaks down like, why wouldn't you want to play God? Why wouldn't you want the perfect spouse? Why wouldn't you want someone who is never grumpy and never rude and never makes you feel insecure? Like, he has that, the final... What should have been the final confrontation of the film for this for the 2000s film, where Joanna goes to the men's association yeah. and she is distraught. She's just looking for her kids. We have the sense that Walter has completely turned on her. They have this really interesting fight where he's basically like, "All I've done is get to hold your purse. I've always been in your shadow," mm-hmm. and you really get a sense of how miserable he is. And it's not justified. We don't agree with him, but it's like those that whole sequence in the men's association is so good yeah and you re- and it's the only moment where you feel like this is very dark and this is absolutely a continuation of what the first film was putting down right and again it's like damn the test audience because that would have been a great place to end and if they'd stuck the landing in a really powerful way mm-hmm. that it still would have been a very uneven movie but it would have kept that menace of Christopher Walken's character. Yeah. Because when it is revealed in the end that he's an animatronic, it's like, are you kidding me? Like, he is this pure villain, and he's so convincing and charismatic and pathetic, and yet he has everyone in the town under his spell. Like, to find out that he is basically the Wizard of Oz and his wife (laughs) is really the villain is just, it takes away the impact of that performance and that character. Mm -hmm. And... That character in the first film is so terrifying. Yeah. He's known more as Dez because he used to work at Di- or Diz because he worked at Disney. Right. And it's very deliberately saying, like, oh, the Hall of Presidents guy who made those animatronics, <laughs> he's making these robot wives. Yeah. Really. And that was a moment where I was like, oh, as a theme park fan. Um, <laughs> but he he has this crazy line in the first film where Joanna is making like tea and coffee when her husband has all of the men's club guys over. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, I love watching women do their little domestic tasks. And it is one of the scariest moments because it's so creepy. And yeah. so, and it perfectly encapsulates everything that happens to the Stepford wives in the town. But it's also something I could see just like a creepy neighbor saying to you at a party. 
Like mm-hmm. that is just that is just what sexism is. And ugh, yeah, that character. It's it's an it's really interesting to compare how the characters are changed between the two films. Oh, That's a really striking one. And the thing is, it's like the one thing I will say about the ending of the 2004 is this. I. I, I do like it that it basically is predicated on the idea that Walter and Joanna are actually working on their issues as a couple mm-hmm. and that they make room to be together on something as opposed to almost feeling like they're antagonists against one another. But And also, I feel like Again, this is an issue with motivation in the fir- in the second one that the first one just does not have. And that's... I feel like there is a way that they could have made Glenn Close's character the overarching villain and not made it feel as tonally off as, mm-hmm. as, as possible. She could have been somebody who likes the idea of being a domestic housewife and doesn't like how they're kind of how they're not looked down on to a certain extent in society and like no this is what i want society to be so this is why i did that i feel like there's a way to do that that this movie just doesn't do yeah i mean there are absolutely women who have been kind of like the the foot soldiers of patriarchy. Like I thought a lot about Phyllis Schlafly and like these other women in the seventies and eighties who became these pro-family anti-feminist activists and very powerful voices. And you could absolutely have a version of this film where Glenn Close's character is just, she's a trad wife. Like she wants everyone to go back to having a more traditional family structure. And the fact that her whole motivation was really that she had been this very successful career woman and then found out her husband was having an affair and that's why she kind of, it's just very, again, convoluted is the word I keep coming back to, but it takes away this interesting political conversation you could have had around this film of some women do want to be Stafford wives and think women should be in this domestic role and they are also very dangerous and upholders of patriarchy, not to be like feminist on a soapbox, but... It's it could have been really cool and it got close. Yeah. Not to inadvertent pun for Glenn, but well, yeah, <laughs> we're almost but, there. And, and the thing is, it's like I, I think that is where the idea that you know, and I mean, granted, both men both movies were written and directed by men. Yes. But I feel like there is I feel like and again, I think it comes down to Goldman and the original, why that one works so well, because he's such a phenomenal screenwriter and was able to get dynamics between men, women, and why certain dynamics work well. And as much as I enjoy Paul Rudnick as a f- screenwriter, he did In and Out, he did Adam's Family Values, both films I really enjoy, he's not the answer for this type of movie. I, I think that's where a lot of the comedy that doesn't really land in this film works unfortunate comes from i i think unfortunately and it's because and you know you have the character roger in this one who's the friend (laughs) in this movie and it's like you know i i like the potential in the showing the relationship between roger and jerry in the new one but the way it's done is just 
Oh. It's so weird. It really is. I mean, Grant, like you said, this was in the middle of the Bruce years, and that was a year where, um, that was a year where I, uh, gay marriage was not something that was looked upon well in society, and there are still pockets of it that certainly aren't, but it's more accepted now. It wasn't even legal across the country back then. It was only in certain states, yeah. But, um, no, I mean, and the thing is, it's like, I I do think it basically boils down to the fact that I I do think, you know, I, I feel like I feel like a filmmaker like Frank Oz could have done this movie really well if he'd had a different writer on yeah. this. And I think that that's the problem. And I think the if if you'd had a female writer I'm trying to think of some really great ones that might have been a good possibility in 2004, but I can think of some now that would do a phenomenal job with this material and get the tone right and maybe say something in this material that the the characters the that the filmmakers weren't able to previously yeah i was i i did not realize until i was preparing for a conversation that the novel was written by a man the film was directed by men it was written by a man and it was this interesting moment where i think that for me at least as a female critic to be like yeah, they did a really good job. Those guys really did a good <laughs> job, actually. Like, I think that the the novel is perfect. Um, I think that the first film is very close to perfect. And they did an excellent job keeping their eye on the ball of making a very feminist film. Mm-hmm. And the second, the, the newer version is just the hot mess. And it is yeah. one of those moments where I'm like, actually, this really could have benefited from having a female perspective and voice in its creation and, and also just a more diverse writer group in general. Um, the thing that something that surprised me when I read the novel was that there is a, there's another newcomer to town who's introduced as having arrived after Joanna, who's a black woman who is like a very successful children's book author and her husband comes with her and their kids. Mm. And after Joanna, is kind of disappeared by the men's organization. The very end of the book, when we're in the grocery store, is written from the perspective of this black woman. And she and Joanna had kind of become friends. And she's observing, oh, Joanna's kind of different now too. And you get the sense that she will also be replaced next. Mm -hmm. And the book is interested in the question of race. And and it's clear that like they didn't go into it in any depth, but there's the sense of this is a very white affluent town, but it still thinks of itself as being progressive and welcoming of this black family. And it's interesting to think about how, first of all, very white, the 2004 version is Mm -hmm. and their version of that, of showing difference and and being more inclusive is having this gay couple. Yeah. (laughs) And (laughs) it is, it is so very 2004 in the way that it depicts gay men and gay relationships. The idea that there has to be the feminine one and the masculine one. Mm -hmm. And the feminine one winds up being Stepford wifed into becoming like a Mitt Romney type. (laughs) It's just very strange. But I would love to have like a more, a tooth, what the 2024 version of this film would be, would be engaging more directly with race and gender and all of these things that are kind of subtle in the first few, in the yeah. first iterations. I think there is room for something 
in here. Because a lot of white womanhood and, and praising and, and, and holding up white female housewives, there's a lot of white supremacy in there as well as just mm-hmm. sexism. And I would just, I would be so curious what, what a new screenwriter would do. And also just anecdotally as someone who's from Connecticut and from the towns that are in here, my mom grew up in Darien, which is where they filmed most of the first film um, and some of the second. And Darien was called Aryan Darien because for most of the 60s, 70s, and 80s, you could not live there if you were Jewish. You could not live there if you were black. Realtors would not show you property. And my grandfather was Jewish and they just hid that from the realtor. They just did not tell anyone. <laughs> and um, so my understanding of these towns is that they are explicitly very white suburbs and communities mm. and still very, very homophobic. And it's so interesting watching Stepford because you're almost seeing that's just taken for granted. That's like the premise. Like this is a very white place. Yeah. It's a white flight suburb. You don't, there's like not, it doesn't even need to be said. It's just obvious. Yeah. And I think the 2004 film kind of shies away from even addressing that mm-hmm. as something that's going on. Um, but yeah, I have a lot of this, just a lot of thoughts. <laughs> just like there's, it's, there's so much in there that makes me stew. <laughs> well, and you, you brought up one of the things that I, I made a point of when I was watching the 1975 version. Uh, you, you mentioned how that they look at Stepford as very progressive. It's like, yeah, really? Stepford is progressive. I don't think so. <laughs> I, I, it doesn't really strike me as that, but um, no, I mean, I, I, you're absolutely right. And yes, the uh, the black couple is a great thing, a great part of the first film that is not in the second one. And you mm-hmm. know, again, one of the reasons why that one is not a, as good as the first one because of the fact that it doesn't really deal with the reasons of why. You know, here it's just seen as a way for Walter and Joanna to get away yeah. from their life that is now in ruins. And it's like, but the thing is, it's like, how many people, unfortunately, are really capable of making that type of move? Like, there's something about a degree of privilege to being able to say, well, I can move here just because of the fact that my life is not really moving in the direct it is not really in the right direction right used to live so i mean there's a certain amount of privilege that goes into that well there's a possible entry point of social commentary and there are so many things that there are so many things that are not as said in that one that should be said but you know i mean one of the things i've I, I do think there is, I, I think there, you know, it's like, it's that, that for the first, the second one is just a mess. And it's like, I want to <laughs> be, and the thing is, I enjoyed it more now yeah. than I did in 2004. I, I enjoyed the humor of it more, but that doesn't necessarily mean I think it's a particularly well-made movie still. I, it's a I fun think, film, not a good film. Yes, Exactly. <laughs> And, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where I, I do think to a certain extent having Walter be the one that changes the women back in the original, 
and the remake is a mistake. Again, it and that that last part, I understand where they're coming from. There's things I even like about it, but there are yeah. also things where the execution's just completely off, and it's not a good, well executed uh, ending at all. But yeah, I mean, it's it's this this is a what so. Are there any other particular differences with the original novel that you've noticed, at least with the original film? I mean, no doubt there's a ton that's different from the new one, and we've gotten into <laughs> yeah. a lot of that. Yeah, so the end of the novel is a little different, and I think it makes sense why they made the changes they made for the film, and I think the film has a much better ending it is much more cinematic it is much more impactful what happens in the book is joanna very similar timeline of events joanna is starting to realize oh my god all my friends have changed something ominous is happening i'm next she becomes increasingly panicked and terrified for her life she goes to see a therapist because her husband basically says he basically convinces her she's losing her mind and yeah. says i will entertain the idea of us moving if you agree to see a therapist first in the film, the therapist she sees is very much like, girl, run. Like, trust your instinct, go stay at a hotel, get your kids and get out of here. In the book, the therapist is kind of like, this lady might be a little delusional. And she basically says, like, we're going to give you a prescription for medication, and we're going to keep talking about this, and is sympathetic, but does not buy that anything right. ominous is happening, because that kind of <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. Um, and Joanna gets her prescription. She becomes increasingly, like, she's losing her mind because of the circumstances she's in. And she, she goes back to her house with Walter. They have this fight. She manages to escape the house. And she's thinking, she doesn't know where her children are, but they're probably safe with one of the other housewives. She just needs to get out of Stepford. Yeah. She just wants to escape. And she tries to, she's like running through the snow. She's trying to get to the house of the black woman whose character name I've unfortunately forgotten. Um, Pen, Penny? Uh, anyway. Um, but on the way, she's caught by men from the men's association. And they keep telling her the lie of, it's not what you think. There's nothing ominous going on. How about we bring you to Bobby's house? And, and... Bobby can show you that she bleeds if she's cut and that she's a real person. She's not a robot. And Joanna agrees and they go to Bobby's house and the men's association men kind of wait outside and Joanna is in the kitchen with Bobby and Bobby picks up a knife and is basically like, of course, I'll help you. I'll show you that I bleed. There's nothing going on. And she's getting closer to Joanna and there's kind of like a cut scene and the men's association men are outside kind of talking about, oh, this is almost over, thank goodness. And it is implied that Bobby, robot Bobby, kills Joanna. And that is like the conclusion of that arc. Um, Joanna doesn't go to the men's association. It kind of ends in Bobby's home. And then we cut to the grocery store sequence mm. where we see Joanna's Stepford wife. The film, I think, is so much cooler because... Yeah. Till the very end, we really don't know what the hell's going on. And we have this amazing moment where Joanna goes to Bobby's house looking for her kids and stabs Robot Bobby mm -hmm. and Robot Bobby malfunctions. And that is the moment where we realize, oh, everyone is screwed. Yeah. And 
and it is so tense, like the pacing is just extraordinary. And then Joanna goes to the men's association to try to find her children, mm -hmm. and it's a trap, and we realize, oh, she's screwed. And at the very end of the film, she finds her own Stepford wife replacement, who's almost done, and is living in this replica of her own bedroom in the men's association. And there's this crazy shot of robot Joanna with the black eyes, mm -hmm. with, like, weaving the pantyhose around her hands to, like, suffer, uh, to... Um, Strangle. Choke. Yes, yeah, yeah. strangle. Thank you. Strangle real Joanna. And the next time we see her is in the grocery store. And I think that is, it is so good. It is so cinematic. It is so scary. The whole chase through the men's association. Mm -hmm. And, oh, it is just so amazing. And I, I respect why the novel ended the way that it did. It feels very quiet. It's very literary. But the movie just packs such a punch. And it is, that's the image of Joanna, robot Joanna with the black eyes. That's the one yeah. that like has always followed me. Mm -hmm. And the very idea of coming face to face with your robot replacement and your robot replacement killing you. I'm very interested in who, who, is, con who is inflicting violence on who in this story. And the idea that in both the book and in the movie, the housewife robots are killing the women is really interesting. Yeah. Um, and the men aren't getting their hands dirty in those moments. Yeah. But that was the biggest difference between the film and the book. And I think they're both great. They both make sense. Mm -hmm. But my last piece of like, oh, I live there, is that the house where they filmed the men's association in both films is the same place. It's the Lockwood Matthews mansion in Norwalk, Connecticut. It is stunning. It's a historical landmark. I've driven by it so many times. It is always very weird. It is right next to I-95, the freeway. It's like in the middle of... Norwalk is like a very struggling urban city that's kind of lost a lot of its industry. It's very... It's it's in economic decline mm -hmm. compared to these very affluent suburbs. Connecticut's a very weird state. Um, but there's just this stunning mansion in the middle of Norwalk and all these like empty lots. And so I love the way it's filmed in the first film um, because it is utterly terrifying. And it is one thing I think the second film did quite well as well. It's just yeah. that it's still that same house. You get the sense that it is this like m this place infused with men and power and institutional privilege. And it's wild. Yeah. Oh, and another little nugget in the book that I don't know if it's really in the film is the idea that the men's association is very new. It's only been around for six or seven years hmm. and that they had bought the property recently and that there had been all of these little smaller men's groups that are more like normal, like the Masonic Lodge and all that. And they all kind of absorbed into one to form the men's association. Hmm. And that it's and there's this moment where someone, um, Joanna throws like a house party and hires a caterer and the caterer is like, I'm so excited to work here. No one in Stepford throws parties anymore because the women all do it themselves. And it all started with that damn men's association six years ago. <laughs> so that's another twist in the book of like, this is a new thing. It just is masquerading as having all this historical power, but it's a new invention in reaction to the fact that the women started like a, a now chapter, like the yeah. National Organization for Women. That's 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 really yeah. interesting. That that would mm -hmm. be that that's that's something that I think is definitely would definitely be ripe for uh, new exploration. But yeah, I, I agree with you on the ending. I, I see why the literary one would work so well mm -hmm. in literary form, but cinematically, because of the fact that we've been following Joanna this entire time, it is important that the film sticks 
with her. And that yes. you have that moment in the men's association where she is where she is basically confronting them about what they've been doing and she ends up losing. And really And makes- we get a confession from them too. Yeah. We get that amazing villain monologue. This is why we're doing it. And you don't get to stop us. Yeah. And that doesn't really happen in the book, but it's so important in the film. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the difference between a book and a film. Like that's yeah. that's one of the things that's so uh, that's one of the things that makes it so interesting because of the fact that it's like you can do certain things in books that work really well in books, but not necessarily don't necessarily translate. And there are some things that just make all the sense in the world on screen because of the nature of how cinematic storytelling works. And I I love that there's I love that there. In the book and in that original movie, there are two way there are two ways of getting to the exact same idea, mm-hmm. and they're both interesting. And mm-hmm. I I think that is, uh, you know, and it makes me even more frustrated about the two thousand four film because of the fact yeah. that it doesn't really do that. You can see why it you can see where it wants to go, but you just don't see. There are so many holes in how it gets there that it doesn't really earn it as much as what the original film does. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, did you have anything else before we wrap up? One little thought that I, that I have about the 2004 th- film is that it just doesn't make sense in yeah. terms of what they're actually doing to the women. Yeah. And I think that is so emblematic of why the film itself fails. But there are all of these scenes that are kind of, that are, not even kind of, that are played for humor of you're seeing the Stepford Wives' bodies being controlled by the men in creepy ways. There's the remote control yeah. where you can change their breast size. There's the scene where Walter is at the men's association and they show him that one of the wives is also an ATM and mm-hmm. can like provide money through her mouth. And there's the scene where the, the wife very early on is glitching and his sparks coming out of her head. And all of those scenes suggest that these women are robots and yeah. not real human bodies. And when we find out that there's been just computer chips in the real women all along and they can come back to normal, it just doesn't make any sense no, at all. No, it's incredibly it stupid. Yeah. And all of those scenes as well, it goes back to kind of what we were talking about around like humor and power and who's the butt of the joke. Like, those scenes are incredibly disturbing where these women's mm-hmm. bodies have been manipulated by the men in these ways into being objects and sex dolls, essentially. Yeah. And it's played for laughs. And it's just, it so communicates why that film is, is bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's one of those things where if the tone had been different, those could have been incredibly scary moments instead of moments that are supposed to be funny. Mm-hmm. It's just a very confused film. I, I, I think what made it easier for me to watch, and I don't know if this was your experience too, but part of the reason I enjoyed watching it more now is because it feels like a historical film as well <laughs> that's saying something very specific about 2004. Yeah. And like this period of American history where, God, that's 20 years ago now, where the McMansions are everywhere, there's this explosion of reality TV. There, it's just like, it's very of its time. And I yeah. think it made it a little easier to watch because I can say... This is incredibly stupid, but this is where we were as a society in 2004. Yeah. And it made it a little easier to swallow those moments that were really 
appalling because mm-hmm. it was saying it's a historical text now too. Yeah. But and, woof. <laughs> and, and, and the thing is, it's like you you look at the 1975 film, and certainly there there have been a lot of advances from where things are were at that time. But at the same time, you look at some of the things that are going on now as far as women's rights and women's mm-hmm. right, uh, women's uh, rights to autonomy of their own bodies, and you see that that patriarchal urge to control women is still very much alive and ticking. Not that it was in 2004, it just wasn't as, it wasn't as aggressive, it seems, as it is now. Mm-hmm. I think we had fooled ourselves, at least in like white suburban areas, into thinking that the fight had been won. Mm-hmm. Like, and that was incredibly silly. And obviously, the Bush years were very um, exploitative and terrible for women's rights in their own ways. It was just more of a death by a thousand cuts situation yeah. for things like abortion access and, and sex education and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's very. I think the two, the the 1975 version is timeless in a way. I was really struck by how much it felt very current, even mm-hmm. though it is a 50-year-old film almost. And I would encourage anyone who has not watched it to watch it because it holds up very well and it is a very good piece of filmmaking. And it is really funny in its own ways. It yeah. is very surreal. Um, the costuming is really cool. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I want to explore more of is the, the drama about the making of that film because apparently there was a lot of drama with the screenwriting process, there was drama with the casting. Um, The woman who plays Carol Van Sant was the wife of the director, and that apparently changed a lot of the costuming choices that were made because she was older, and they wanted originally to have more of like a Playboy Bunny aesthetic for the Stepford Wives, but instead they went more traditional. It's just, there's, I I want someone to write a film about how that film was made, (laughs) because there's so much there, and... It's great. And I'm glad we were able to talk about it because it I is, I don't want people to forget it. It is a really good film. <laughs> I am too. And uh, I, I'm, I'm so grateful that you, you had this idea that you wanted to talk about these films because of the fact that it does touch a lot on some of the things that you write about in your own writing, but it also it says a lot about, it, it also allows us to talk about film as a medium and the way different films get made, the way different films get thought about, and the way the same story can be brought to life multiple times. Um, Before we wrap up, uh, first of all, thank you very much for joining me. I'm grateful that we were finally able, we were able to do this. Uh, One last time, where can people find you online? Yeah, so you can find me on every social media platform as uh, at bros and pros. Um, You can also just search Ella Dawson. And please come and join my Patreon community where I write about films like this. I recently wrote about Priscilla. Uh, I think I might write a longer piece about Stepford Wives, just having grown up there and how weird that is to be like, this is my hometown. Ah!" Um, But yeah, please come hang out and uh, listen to Brian's podcast as well. Okay, thank you very much. I'd like to thank Ella for joining me on the podcast. It was really great to talk to her and really uh, wonderful to be able to have the conversation that we had about these movies. And I love that uh, we were able to have a conversation that delved into the cinematic reasons for why some movies work and some movies don't and why some versions of the story work and 
some don't. And I definitely look forward to sharing. Thank you very much for everybody to, who listens to this podcast. And uh, check out Ella's writing. She is a wonderful writer. Uh, like she mentioned, she's got a novel coming out next year, and I can't wait to hear read that. Um, that's going to be it for this episode of the Sonic Cinema Podcast, as well as the 2023 se season of the Sonic Cinema Podcast. I think it's a pretty great way to uh, to wrap up. That's and uh, you can check us out at YouTube, Apple, Google, Spotify. Again, good pods wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as uh, the Sonic Cinema Podcast YouTube channel. Check us out at patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema, as well as, of course, www.sonic-cinema.com. Mm -hmm.